the relationship I had with Christianity was the same as somebody who'd been in an abusive relationship. Um, it was at best complicated and it was just kind of this, this thing that haunted me. So in certain circles I was, if I felt safe enough, I totally talk about God and my experiences and my perspectives. But if I stepped out of those safe spaces into say a rock club or, uh, or another space where I didn't think people would like the Christian side of me, that wouldn't, he wouldn't show up. And I, I do a very good job of muting uh, for my own self-protection. So like, as I've worked through that, like saying on a podcast that I'm a Christian and not having like a panic attack uh, is a pretty big victory for me. Hey, this is Craig Weinberg sitting here with John Rogers in the Why Millbank Podcast Studio in Millbank, South Dakota. And this is Why Music, a podcast where we sit down with musicians and friends and talk about music. I hope you enjoy this show. This first episode, Nate Allen of Good Saint Nathaniel was kind enough to jump on Skype from his home in Kansas City to talk about his latest album, Hide No Truth. What brought him to this place to write this album, what it means to him, the, uh, the turmoil, the heartbreak, the heartache, and the joy that came out of this project. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks a lot for listening. Do you remember the year that you and I met? Mm, I know when we started Rock for Reason was 2002. Was it 02? I, I couldn't remember that date either. Yeah, I know that. I don't, I don't have any memory beyond that of, of knowing you... Like no, the, well, the, well, we worked at that Roseburg Lumber. Is oh, that yeah. was that our first kind of meeting? That would have probably been it, yeah. And that was in well, that would have been around that same time, two thousand oh, two thousand one. Oh, one, yeah. That's when I worked at. Because okay. I, I only worked there the one summer after I graduated high school. <laughs> I graduated in two thousand, so you're that much younger than me. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm that much. Three years is not that bad, but. <laughs> Long, I guess it's a it's a lot then. <laughs> Wait, so you're both from Roseburg? Yeah, I didn't realize Nate was from Roseburg as yeah. well. Yeah, that that's how we and <laughs> Nate put together this. Was it once a month that we did the the stuff at the? Yeah, uh, was it was that once the VFW. What was that weeks. hall we used? The the one in Roseburg. Yeah, was that the VFW? It was the American Legion. American hall. Legion. That's it. Yeah. Oh, geez. The <laughs> The bands we brought in, my word. What were we thinking? <laughs> Remember the one show we did in Winston at the Senior Center? I do. Did was... we do two or one or two there? Well, the one I remember was with Emory Music. Now, was that Emory? Like... Yeah, that was Emory. Okay. And I actually just saw them this last weekend in Texas, and we talked about... Oh, did, like, did you go to their and... show? To their, um, their what do they call it, their Bad Christian Con? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna go on the show uh, i don't know if i mean if they'll have me if yeah. you guys are listening um <laughs> <laughs> yes yes if you're listening toby here it is <laughs> are you listening come on Catch was it toby or matt toby. to talk to uh i i mean I, I went and spent time with all of them so they were oh, all that's there. cool they, they intrigued the heck out of me and actually i've been following them a little bit as i've been kind of figuring out how what i want to do with this show specifically. Um, I like their idea that they just question everything. The gratuitous language that they have on their show drives me mad. 
<laughs> See, we take our kid to rock shows, and I'm not really worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll tell her what was socially acceptable in later, but uh, <laughs> right. Well, how old is she, she now at this point? She's two, almost two and a half. Okay, wearing uh, earplugs. She, she, so she's been going to shows her entire life. So, <laughs> and I'm like, don't, don't, not use your words around her. <laughs> like, we'll work on that later. Nice. Uh, okay, so what the, uh, what was the thought be- behind this current project you're doing? Your new venture, uh, Good Saint Nathaniel. Good, well, for the last several years, my wife really encouraged me to have a solo project. Because she didn't want to go out and do it anymore? (laughs) No, uh, I just write a lot of songs. And I think she looked at my artistic output and just um, my process and knew that I needed something else. Specifically, because I I just I I just write a lot of songs and she just can't keep up, uh, and she she needed a break, so she's like make a solo project, and I tried to make one in Portland before we moved here and that failed. Why? Uh, I played a show and the drummer of the band said I don't want to quit the band. Uh, we he'd signed on for one show and then turns out I was going to be moving shortly and we decided to record a batch of songs there. So what was a solo project? Uh, Got swallowed by the band. Oh, you just wanted to like use people as use them as needed. Yes, and then drop them. <laughs> well, I wasn't actually like we were just gonna we were roommates and so we're like let's play a show. Okay, just, just sounds fun. It's what we do. Um, we did it, and then he was just like, I like this band. I don't want to quit. And I'm like, well, I was about to make a record. Does that mean you're making a record with me? Oh, and, and uh, he did. So, and was that under Destroying It, Allen, or who, what was that? That was called the a band called the Packaway Dots. So it's a (laughs) leaning towards the new project uh, in some ways, but really like the good St. Nathaniel is really the first proper solo album I've written in, I don't know, maybe, maybe almost a decade. So what's the inspiration for it Uh, in in both lyrics and feel? Yeah. Um, The, so many layers. So I'm trying to, uh, it, it's a really, a, it's kind of a time capsule of about five years of change in my life. Um, the lyrical impetus was, I was writing all these songs and I went through a book called the artist's way, which is a creative unblocking tool. And I realized I needed to write a record about my Christian faith experience, which is, uh, at times really good and also very painful. So, uh, as I was looking through the songs I had, I was like, oh man, if I'm writing about uh, faith and its complications, then this is going to be a-, a record unlike what I've done before. So that was kind of the impetus. And then I just needed something I could play quiet and alone um, uh, for practical reasons so I don't have to go through all the band practices and all the logistics that involve that. It's easier just to get ready as a solo artist. So uh, what was your religion experience then? Because, I mean, I I knew you as a similar uh, kind of Pentecostally charismatic Christian. I I would say, I mean, that's that's was our shared history. I don't know of anybody else, at least that we were working with at the time, that had the quite the similar mix that we did with that. Um, So my 
I was raised in church, Assemblies of God, and then Foursquare. And those would have encapsulated the years that you knew me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also 12 years of Christian school. And I look back on those times as not very functional in the, the churches <laughs> I went to. Oh, man. Uh, you have a bunch of angry kids. You put them with a bunch of stupid rules. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a time bomb uh, of, of legalism and just kind of like uh, trouble. So by the time I went to Douglas County Christian School and it was okay. They just were like really, really heavy-handed with some mean teachers. <laughs> yeah, and by the time... Should we name names? or <laughs> I totally will. Um, but I don't know if I need That's to. That's fine. But, There's no reason to. Uh, I, I don't know if any of them listen to podcasts. Uh, <laughs> we could send it to them. Uh, you know, I've been sending my new record to people in Roseburg to see what they Have think. Have you really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, talk about getting a little bit of dose of anxiety. Uh, I've totally sent the record to a few people that actually are like... I sing songs about on the album. Uh, really? So it's it's totally interesting. Um, but the school thing was just, it was a normal, probably a normally dysfunctional Christian school. <laughs> and but by the time seventh grade for me rolled around, like it just really started to ex- like implode, maybe the right word. Uh, there was lots and lots of fights. The anger just got totally ramped up. And, uh, and the teachers, I don't think, really had an idea what to do because they they really built this monster. Um, so I, I mean, the only fights I'd ever got in in school were both in seventh grade, and uh, there was just fights all around. It was like every week somebody was punching somebody. Uh, and and I mean, even a ki- a girl brought a gun to school and shot off blanks in the bathroom. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, she first off, where did she get blanks? Uh, she well. I mean, the, the story was that she happened to borrow her mom's coat that day and wear it to school and found a gun in it. Oh, I don't know if I believe that. but uh, And so somehow the gun had blanks in it. It's all kind of fuzzy. Um, I just remember that the person who, who like, ratted her out got suspended longer than she did, and the Whoa. girl that shot the, the gun off got, like, a half a day of suspension. This is all pre-Columbine. Sounds so reasonable. It a, oh, it didn't matter then. Parents were obviously yeah. investors in the school. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it was just a. I mean, as far as an application of Christianity that is damaging, I was I was getting one. But, but um, break that with, down. How? Like j- just think, just the fact that the there wasn't control over the interpersonal relationships in there, or was there actual well, I, abuse at some level? I think there was actual abuse. I would go. In third grade, I asked my I came home from school and I remember specifically asking my mom, "Why don't the Christians act like Christians?" Yikes. Because there was a level of like pain I was able to verbalize at that point from that system. Uh, they had things like you could sign a, a clause where the the, stu- the school could spank a student as many times as they thought they needed to, or it. And so I had a friend that was spanked. I mean, he lost count. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, he uh, should have been a better kid. He had ADD. Wow. Uh, oh, man. So they, they literally, like, I remember this, this kid getting brought back from the principal's office and getting a spanking and then, like, acting out, like, just, or just basically saying something flippant and then getting marched back to get more spanks. Mm. Like, and, like, so, so that was, like, the most extreme side of it. Um, And then it was just, like, I don't know if, I don't know if it's possible for people to coexist in a good way where, um, 
where you're trying to enforce a complicated religion like Christianity across tons of different denominations. And then when you put the kids that are bad from the public school into that mix, it's like this weird, like, it's just a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I was experiencing at that point. Uh, and so it, it was like every time that you'd get in trouble, it wasn't just, hey, you were a bad kid. It was like, you're in trouble, now go write some scripture verses. Mm. Uh, which, to you know, it's still to this day, you know, an idea, reading the Bible can be complicated because I have to like, wade through um the kind of mixed messages that it was it was kind of handed down did you do college at all i did i uh i did umqua community college for a year and then eventually went to portland community college and then concordia university so okay my my college journey so far has ended with a business degree hey how about that yeah. Now you're writing music again, still. Yeah. Again, still. I, you know, in college, I'd use all the all the business projects to just like work on band stuff, like merch. Like, business plan. Let's uh, let's make a business plan for the next tour. Uh, <laughs> did that work? It pretty. It totally did. I got I got great grades, <laughs> and it was fun because I'd be like, my my examples for projects and classes were all real life examples. It was like this is what it's like to try to figure out how to go be a musician. I think uh, I went to Alaska one spring break and so it's like, you guys all went to like, relax. I went to work. <laughs> you know, 20 new stories. How many times have you crossed the country as destroying Nate Allen? I don't, I mean, m- maybe six or seven. I, it's, it's hard to say because our tours tended to be of the four to six month variety. So. And was that I like, get, like had, shows Every day, every other day. I mean, yeah. how, how tight did you try to pack them in? I'm a workaholic, way too tight. So, like, it was a. There's a, a whole narrative that that runs along this part of that the, the touring part of my story, where Tessa, who's my my wife, would ask me, "Can we have a day off?" And I'd say, "No, we can't <laughs> have a day off." And I mean, this is honest to god discussion, and because it was easier for me to booked a show in a town I'd never been to, drive eight hours, work the full show, than it was to just take a day off. Um, because I was so, I think, hungry for approval would, would probably be the key for that era. And so it was, so really, like, we did these, you know, we only toured, you know, maybe maybe five or six U.S. tours or maybe seven, but when we leave home, it would be for six months at a time. So we threw 150 shows into that six month period. Were you depressed during this? I mean, no. was that an outlet to, to avoid reality to be, no, I don't think so. Running about in the midst of a crowd. I mean, that's fun. I don't, I don't, <laughs> a, I don't think it was an avoidance of reality. I think there was an, an unawareness of motivation on my part, but I, it wasn't a conscious or even I think subconscious avoidance. It was like, felt like it was something we, uh, you know, felt like God wanted us to do or something that we needed to do to pay the bills. And also it's how a band gets known. So, and we also just like traveling, like for the years that we were the most active, our, our home was a tour van. So like we'd get, we'd leave wherever we were, had a room at, get in the van and that felt like home. 
So it didn't feel like home being like <laughs> being at home from somewhere. Home was was in a van. Hmm. So it was definitely harder to be home because it was like there's not the adrenaline, there's not the task, there's not the uh, potential for instant gratification like there is when you play an audience, a crowd, and the audience likes you. Right. Did it ever make money? No. <laughs> I mean, it paid bills. Okay. There's two. I mean, we could. We're really good at selling merch, and we became a really proficient performance act. So, like, if there was money to be made at a concert, we would make it. Uh, and so we'd pay the bills. That's about where we, we were, were level-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, but the making money thing, now we do taxes. So hey. I, I got to totally <laughs> answer on that. Do you uh, do them also? Really, what? Do you do that too? I, I'm her office manager. Oh, how about that? So I'm I'm pretty deep into the the tax trade without actually doing the taxes. I, I have a fun like I don't know the answer to that question I get to get <laughs> I get to um which is really really freeing. But uh it's really hard to make a living off of music, like an honest, like profitable from a tax perspective living. Uh, be, be particularly because of the miles and the amount of expenses that you have to put in mm-hmm. to actually make money. And so yeah, so, I think is the money in the show or is it in merchandise typically? At our level it was in merchandise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was we were a band that you know, we were an independent band and we weren't necessarily a popular independent band. We were like a well-known respected band in certain circles. So like we could play our our shows were probably 20 to 30 people a night with with the blips of we're playing for three or 400 people tonight. And then, and then we're going to balance it out by playing for eight people the next night. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of the reality of an independent artist that doesn't have a label behind him. Now, or like, a, was that, was that the era then? Is that still the case? I think it is. I think if you're, I mean the, the phrase now, which is, is super interesting because DIY was the scene we were a part of in the, 2007 to 12 era of our band and my touring and now it's like there's a whole movement around kids trying to play lots and lots of diy shows and i'm like man this is something we were all like kind of a part of but also like and we're doing it almost out of like no other choice and now it's like a popular thing uh but i think if you're at a diy musician you're probably playing to 20 to 30 people a night unless you happen to be a band that gets popular and th- and then those numbers, you know, go to can go quite a bit bigger. Does the social media craze help that, or does it make it harder to actually get out there because there's so much now? I I think there's it's a lot easier to be a band now. Uh, recording is not necessarily a cost you have to factor in like it used to be, mm-hmm. and there's also not gatekeepers. So there's a lot of bands that are trying to, you know, figure out how to tour. Maybe is the right space which is so that that's not that distant of a past for me so i remember like oh how do i get a, how do i do a tour right and so i think there's a lot of that i mean some of the spaces like a, a fun story in 2009 or so we played rochester new york and i played like on the street corner trying to busk i mean i just remember people requesting like britney spears songs and it being pretty miserable um <laughs> And, Did you and, try? And, uh, I don't know those. No, I, didn't. <laughs> I, uh, I always tell people I don't know covers, which I pretty much don't. But uh, 
It's also a very safe thing to say. Well, uh, it's a way to not have to pay the fees, right? Yeah. Well, it's I wouldn't pay them. Well, I'm right. Uh, Who's going to know? I'm, but I'm part, of, I'm part of those things, but I wouldn't be paying them to play them on the street. That would be silly. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that level where it would make sense. Uh, so, like, but the guy walks up and he's like, hey, man, like, we, uh, or we met that the weekend. He's like, there hasn't been a house show in Rochester in years because there was a, a house party and there was a frat party like kind of around the same time and there was a shooting at the frat party and the cops decided that any event in a house would be shut down really and, and so like the cops would basically if they caught wind of a show they'd send it a cease and desist order and then if the concert happened the cops would show up and arrest everybody. And this is a story I heard from a lot of people. So, it, so it did it move underground? Like, I mean, did did they still happen? They just stopped. Uh, they completely stopped there. And so, like, he's like, but I think we figured it out. Um, and I hope Rochester cops don't tag Rochester in this thing. Uh, <laughs> a place in New York. <laughs> Rochester, uh, Minnesota, too. Yeah, Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> Rochester, Michigan. There's one of those two. Uh, it's one of these Rochesters. <laughs> so I was in, in this this town, and uh, and we played the show, and we have a song called Jesus Keep Us Safe from the Cops, and he requested that. <laughs> yeah. So we played it because that seemed like the thing to do, uh, and the cops didn't show up. And then the next year when we went back, we couldn't get a show there because it had blo- it had become this thing. Like of so many bands were excited to play this town that they uh we just couldn't even get a show there in the town that we kind of opened up in some ways um and so i think that sometimes it's it's interesting to see how the the scenes have flooded and and expanded with like less barriers to entry mm-hmm. um i think it's harder to i'm not even sure if it's harder to make a, an actual living playing music uh i think if you make an art if you make art and it catches on with people i think they're there can be less uh, things you have to jump through. But, uh, yeah, it really depends. A a fun random caveat on the Rochester story was a few years after that, we got a, somebody sent us a comic and it was uh, people all singing our Jesus keep us safe from the cop song. And I guess that what actually had happened is for the next six months in Rochester, every house show started with that song (laughs) and uh, cop never showed up. (laughs) And so like, it was like literally they're like, man, we don't think we don't know like we're not religious, but there's there's something in that song. <laughs> the cops don't show up anymore. Um, so that's a fun story. So why Good Saint Nathaniel? I wrote a song called Good Saint Nathaniel. It was actually about self hatred, and uh, it's not not on the album. But a friend asked me what Good Saint Nathaniel was, and I realized it's for me it's kind of a character if that makes sense of like what I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I think in our good, our good moments, all of us can be saintly. And so I want to have more of those moments and less of, you know, just moments where it's about me. What's your favorite song on the album? Mm. Better is the song that we play around the house the most. Yeah. And so it's the song that we end the sets with. And it's kind of a, I'd say a feel good number as far as if you can talk a song about people dying as a feel good number. It's safer on the sidewalk in the shadows out of sight 
When a cutting glance of disapproval will give you frostbite Yes, it's simple to distract yourself while no people die I just focus on the task at hand, straighten up my tie But I think we can do better, a whole lot better Shot to the injured, isolated in bad health. As easy if you believe they did it to themselves. Yes, I most often hurt the people I love. And it's easy to forget that the hurt need a hug. But I think we can do better. myself and it's definitely to the church but it's also to society as a whole Mm -hmm. um i think there are just small things you can do that drastically improve the quality of life uh and also and from my perspective reduce the amount of wounding people experience Uh, and i think awareness is the first kind of step on that so if anything the song is kind of like i always picture like Maybe like the way a grandpa would like grab a kid from the back of the neck and be like, you can do better. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of getting like 
it's just shaking me to do better. Like in, in the most loving, uh, in the most loving expression of that could be, which I understand that can be hard for people. Uh, but just like you, you can do better. Like we can, we can uh, kind of cold water. Like maybe you didn't want to do act that way to somebody. Is there a reason it's last on the album? It's the most optimistic song, and I'm I'm an optimist that likes to make people feel good, which is the record is is heavy, and so it would be like my personal preference. The I think the most feel good songs on the record are kind of the first and last ones, and I think it's the the most fitting kind of end to this chapter of music yeah. is the better. So it's just a one off thing for you, or do you intend to do more? I would in like this to vein. Do- do a bunch more. I, one of the things that this that inspired this project is I've spent roughly the last five years uh, doing inner work, therapy, things of that nature. And along the way, I've discovered that I had a ton of anxiety. And so as I've shed layers of that anxiety, I've been able to play songs slower mm-hmm. and be more intentional on everything. And so this project came out of that uh, maybe increased intentionality. So I really feel like it's kind of the start of something new, and I hope I get a chance to explore uh, a lot, a lot more in this vein. Are you a songwriter or a musician? A songwriter through and through. I, uh, m- m- I've played shows where my guitars broke, and I just <laughs> sang the melodies, and they worked just fine. <laughs> that made for an expensive show. Well, or, or you're not playing expensive guitars. <laughs> no, I play. I mean, gosh, the last time you saw me, uh-huh. that made the only. Time, I had three guitars on tour because I was going through three. I was breaking so many strings. So, <laughs> well, you didn't play them s- <laughs> smooth <laughs> or gently, I should say, and in the standard postures. Oh well, yes, <laughs> laying on the ground. Bad, <laughs> I have. Uh, I, I mean, I, it took a long time to learn. I don't actually haven't broken a string in a while. Uh, but man, I, I learned, like I learned how to be a performer literally by like using guitars as drums to get audiences attention. And I'm like acoustic guitars make really loud thud noises when you swing over your head. <laughs> and it's, it's a really good way to win a crowd. And so I, you mean like, I, and, and land it into the ground. Oh no, no. Or just like I, I mean, whip it around. Too, like, yeah, if you just whip it over your head and hit the back of it, it's a really cool sound. And uh, oh. and so I used guitars as drums. I used to throw them across clubs to end sets or for the, for fun. Uh, did all sorts of stuff, kind of learning. I mean, and this is all in the process of learning how to how to control and capture an audience. How so much like, of that came out of watching Showbread play? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of it. Uh, well, no, actually... Let me see. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> the Rock for Reason era showed me what a good band was. Okay. So, like, I remember, like, Emery, Showbread, there was, like, Countdown to Life. There's a bunch of really good bands from that era that were particularly good at, at everything connecting with an audience. And so I look back on that era as that was a real, like, kind of 101. This is how you put on a good concert. Like I remember this band, the Ayatollahs, climbed up on top of some speakers, and somebody pointed out that they were really good at working a crowd because they realized that was the place of best visibility in the room. <laughs> and so, like, literally thinking about it in terms of like 
all the little lessons I could learn. So I took those lessons and applied them to acoustic music. And but then when I started, I I didn't have I wasn't very good, uh, and I knew this. I knew I wasn't at the level of my friends. But I got in a van anyway and went on tour because that's what I felt I needed to do. And over the course of six months of throwing and breaking guitars and and uh, I, I kind of learned how to capture an audience and, and what. And so I didn't. I mean, by the next tour, I mean I was already getting the. I mean, Tessa joined the band and she put the like stop sign on the breaking guitars. Um, <laughs> the tax lady. Expensive. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like we did other things to to work the audience in a. One yeah, of those running in circles like, in the middle of them. Yeah, I mean it, it's the most yeah. effective way to play a small room. Everybody gets a front row seat. Yeah, uh, and so like those sorts of things, like just like figuring out what it takes to put on a show that connects with the audience for like maximum impact. You know, like that was kind of the goal. What makes a successful show? I think there's about there are probably several factors. Um, there is the audience connection. You want to people feel like people are connecting deeply. Uh, you want to make sure you're making enough money. <laughs> there can be a spiritual component where as an artist, you are feeling like you had a fulfilling connection, not just the people had fun. Uh, there's a hospitality side. You want to feel like you're treated well. So you're, you're getting fed, you're getting housed. There's a logistics side. You want to feel like you're communicated with well and clearly, uh, you know, some of our most stressful shows have been our biggest shows because the communication wasn't where it needed to be. So, like, I think when those five factors, and if you've had enough rest and sleep heading into it, and you haven't had any major auto issues, uh, if all all eight of those ideas work, then you've had a really great show. If, like, half of those work, you've had a pretty good show. <laughs> That's what goes into a good show. What makes this venture successful in your eyes? Well, one, it's already successful uh, because I got the record out. Okay. Um, which, is, yeah. which is a huge deal uh, because it, it does involve me exploring a lot of my past trauma. Um, and so along the way of getting the record out, I had to go to like therapy specifically for how do I move forward in the record. And so getting to the point where I'm actually saying, this is the thing I've made from my vulnerability. You, you can, you know, hear it. It's a right, big deal. right. When I'd push like launch on a video or submit on a, on a deadline, whatever that was digitally, uh, there was levels of anxiety every single time. Uh, like for fear know, that it would be um, rejected perhaps, or is it yeah. just that opening up the, your inner soul? To the listener yeah the fear of rejection is much more that's much more baseline to where i'm at mm. uh i don't i mean vulnerability i mean i, I have i i enjoy it and i and i am probably more free with some of this stuff than a lot of people because i've done a lot of inner work but the real baseline is the fear of rejection that if people find out certain things about me particularly along faith lines that the relationship is over i'm never going to talk to them again Mm. And uh, and then it gets worse from there if I let the fantasy play out. Do you still think of yourself as a Christian in the sense I, that you used to? Yeah, 
I, I think I'm more of a Christian now than I've ever been in my life. How so? I I think my choices are my own. I think a lot of my motivations uh, at various times were really broken and motivated out of fear. Uh, and it, it, it depends on the season because there are certain seasons I'm like, oh, I did pretty good there. <laughs> and certain seasons, like, I was a scary little kid. Yeah. Uh, and so I think my motivations are my own. I did not... So we talked briefly about the Christian school stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, r- roughly five years ago, I realized that my story had involved what I would call spiritual abuse. And for me, spiritual abuse was a cumulative effect of thousands of negative interactions with Christians. Uh, this could be a kid in school just giving me a hard time because you know, he doesn't like me. Uh, but he also was a Christian or a teacher that was mean and just a bad teacher, but she is also a Christian, so everything's double double layered and then there was also some major conflicts with friends that i you know have have lost along the way or people that decided they didn't like me and then never let it go or held it over me for years and so when i combined when i look at those two sorts of interactions the relationship i had with christianity was the same as somebody who'd been in an abusive relationship um it was at best complicated and it was just kind of this this thing that haunted me. So in certain circles, I was, if I felt safe enough, I totally talk about God and my experiences and my perspectives. But if I stepped out of those safe spaces into, say, a rock club or uh, or another space where I didn't think people would like the Christian side of me, that wouldn't he wouldn't show up. And I, I do a very good job of muting uh, for my own self protection. So like. As I worked through that, like saying on a podcast that I'm a Christian and not having like a panic attack, uh, is a pretty big victory for me. I was going to say, how is that different now? So I guess that's. Yeah, I mean, I well, I mean, faith is my own. Uh, also, like I've discarded. I would say some core things that just really haunted me. I, I was, I mean, we're from a little bit of a similar. Uh, type of church so like i grew up with that like haunting if you don't tell every single person you meet that they're going about jesus and they die it's on your head Mm -hmm. which i think is really really uh haunting theology especially for somebody with social anxiety so i just (laughs) had a a tally of people that would die and it would be on your fault yeah and i think that's just horrible Mm -hmm. um and then so like i'm like okay if, if god wants people to know him he can he can reveal himself. I'll, I'll love him as best I can. That's kind of where I've settled on. So really kind of checked agenda at the door, if that makes sense. And then also like another piece where I just had beat myself up over and over again uh, for just a ton of self-hatred, uh, just feeling like I was really broken. And I mean, there's a lot of family stuff that we don't even have time to mm-hmm. touch on. But um, it was like, there was a certain trauma mix where I really internalized my failures and kind of amplified them. And so the, the kind of key turning point in that one was I, I learned, I don't believe in the doctrine of original sin anymore. Okay. And I was like, what? Like I read it in a book and I brought it to our pastor and he's like, Oh yeah, the whole Eastern Orthodox church, they don't believe in it either. And I was like, Oh, well, so I can still be a Christian and like 
like not have this thing that's haunted me. Um, and so that, that for me was big because it kind of changes the origin point in my story from like one where I took all my past mistakes, even ones that I were way over my pay grade that I just didn't know what to do with. Um, and, and kind of gives myself more grace. And yeah. so I think I, I'm like, Oh, I did, I did as good as I could sometimes, uh, and, and leave it at that as much as best I can versus, Oh my gosh, I was such a screw up and just beat myself up over and over again for those failures. And I mean, I was raised in a place where that, you know, I mean, I don't know. Was, was your church assemblies of God at one point? Uh, no, but a, a version where I'm actually in a assembly of God currently. Just interesting because that's the only, um, I mean, it, it, it's that or one of the more traditional mm-hmm. versions and yeah. I'm not so much that. So, so the part that I was raised in, in my part of Southern Oregon was incredibly dysfunctional. Churches were almost kicked out of the denomination over and over again for being mean and cruel and really, really, really yeah. Particularly the one in Myrtle Creek was really bad when I was there. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and there's, there's stories like all throughout all these different things of like, uh, conflicts and anger and, and a lot of, a lot of, and even in school, a lot of expectation place that you would look good, not that you would be good. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I was, I was always better at being good than looking good. <laughs> like I was, I was a nice, I mean, I was, was better if I had to choose, like I wouldn't look that fancy, but I would probably try to treat somebody. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the systems I was in, that was the wrong choice. You mean it would have been just, better if you had looked differently? Oh, yeah, for sure. If I could have, like, if I would have been a, a partier in high school at, at UBC mm-hmm. and a little wealthier, I would have gotten a lot less grief. Absolutely, yeah. For that, sure, like, hands down. Like, I think that's still the case today. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Like, it's a, it's crap, because then, then you went, like, there's, a, there's this double standard thing that really played a... It did did a number on my head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's kind of what I'm like. If I'm kind of exercising myself from one part of Christianity, it's the part that like holds that double standard. My issue's never been with Jesus. I didn't really ever doubt him, um, for for whatever reason. But my issue was definitely with applications of Christianity that didn't even like, in my opinion, have very much love at all. They just kind of had a a set of rules that. It didn't take me very long to to bump into. I mean, I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> Do you have a, a a church that you guys attend currently? We go to a little Angl- Anglican church. Okay. So it's it's real traditional uh, in structure, but it's some it's some nice people. Do you like that that tradition? I, I find it is it comforting. I find it mysterious. I don't really understand it, <laughs> and and that that's okay to me. I find that like. Moving to Kansas City, even though it's a much more conventional place than certain parts of the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, I've learned a lot about Orthodoxy, Catholicism, Anglicanism, which are all more structured in in their appearance, but also more like okay with not knowing the answers and kind of being in a space of not having things defined. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm much more comfortable in the gray area of not of being able to say I just don't know the answer or I don't have an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. I find, I find it very freeing than like as versus somebody before who would beat himself up for not being able to like turn somebody's argument towards Jesus. Right. You know, like he's never good at that. So being able to be like, ah, I don't even know. Like it's up to you. You, you got 
sort that out. I'll just, you know, try to be a friend to you. Yeah. That's that's a much more comfortable place to me. Will you tour under this uh, new moniker of yours? Yeah, for sure. Um, is stuff in the works already? Uh, there is. We had a discussion a few days ago about maybe the next tour we'll do. Um, I I really would. If anybody's listening to this podcast, I would like to go on tour with somebody else. Uh, I'm I'm strapped logistically, if that makes sense, with the taxes <laughs> and a two year old and mm-hmm. uh and all this stuff. So I would love to be able to like go and travel with somebody else who has a and also has a fan base. I think that would be really nice. I've done a lot on my own, and I'm really trying to kind of like figure out how to make the time more impactful. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to. Uh, spin my wheels. So yeah, we we will be touring. I don't really know what's going on. Um, oh, the big push for me was get the record out, let people hear it, let the press see what's going on with it. How has that been? Because I've I've seen several things, you know, different uh, reviews and and interviews yeah. around the world at some level. Um, are are you pushing that out, or like are there avenues that you use to get it out there, or are they just reaching out and finding this that's obscure yeah it's me i'm being my own publicist so i actually took the record to a few uh well-known publicists they all couldn't work it for various reasons and what so i did that on my own like they, they just didn't want to or what didn't wasn't their uh, kind of work i just felt it was too stark somebody else wasn't good at folk music uh i mean it's it's a record that's complicated so i think people I think some places it'll take a turn where somebody necessarily doesn't want it to take a turn. Mm. Um, it gets pretty pretty dark and pretty complicated pretty quick. Uh, so most of the reviews when people spend time with it are like, oh, this actually is like much more complicated than I can actually like fully process right now. Was um, that the goal? Yeah, I think so. I wanted to write a record that uh, that reflected my journey and also my songwriting uh, at this point in my life. And so what people didn't know is that I could write really empathetic, really catchy, really complex lyrical songs. When people, if they've only heard Destroyed and Allen, wouldn't know that part of me. <laughs> several years, they'd be like, oh, this guy writes these fun pop, pop punk songs. And uh, m- the meantime, I'm writing all these songs that are really, they're efficient and cutting very deep, very quick. But then the more you study them, the more they have layers. And so I think that that was the, the intention was to write my best songs, and those happen to be it right now. You have more in the work currently. Songs? Yeah. Oh man, I, I got a I pile wrote, of them that you're just ready to lay the, down. Nine songs on Hide No Truth, and I wrote 200 demos for it. How in the and world s- did you narrow that down? Spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> I put stuff in spreadsheets, and I threw them. <laughs> It works out that you have a business background. Very technical way. I'm like, I'm a, so it's just like, what can we, which songs are good? You know, which one is, you know, what, what, what do we, what can't we let go of? What do we, you know, I, I got it down to 50 songs and then I sat down with the producer and we went through like four or five sessions of which songs are our favorite. And do you have and, them all kind of rough recorded? Yeah. On your own? I mean, I do like a, a rough recording. I'm not a good engineer, so I... I definitely am glad to have other people help me with that. Because you but, went to a studio for this, correct? Yeah, I did. In Kansas City? Uh, yes. Have you done that before? Studios? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
for sure. We've we've done various levels of it. I've uh, yeah, some some t- studios that are award winning and some that are like base basement and bedroom studios. <laughs> There's a whole a whole mess. I recorded it maybe three times. Uh, one of them is I took a whole week at my house in San Francisco and put all the fancy carpets up and did all this stuff to make it sound awesome. And every time I get a good take, I kid you not, one of my roommates would throw a knife or drop a fork <laughs> and ruin it. And it was literally like I communicated as clear as possible. <laughs> Couldn't even get in the front door. And they still managed to screw up every take. Wow. Uh, and it was, I was so pissed. Uh, and that's a whole other like, thing. But like I re- went to my church and then ended up recording the whole thing at night after work. Really? Uh, over the, I took a whole week off work and had to scrape the whole week. Uh, <laughs> scrap it and so then I re-recorded the whole thing at night uh, And but then when it was done I was like I still gotta do things and so I'd like literally throw a, a $5 mic in my closet and like bang on a tambourine uh, <laughs> and so I mean that's that would be the like lowest fi uh, and I don't really understand how mics are supposed to work like I don't understand the science of it uh, and some people are very very good at knowing how things are supposed to sound really awesome and I, I'm not that I, so I wish I was. Did did you get the the final result that you went in hoping for with this specific record? I think so. I I got the record that that mirrored my season. Okay. Which I think is about the best you can hope to do is something that like I mean it was a hard I mean it's been a hard dark uh 5 years. It's it's a really uh it's not easy walking through trauma. Uh, yeah. So there's there's lots and lots of tears and lots of uh, you know stories that that this record kind of touches briefly on, and I mean there's times where I was writing this record where I'm literally in my back music room dry heaving because I'm wrestling with the consequences of what I just sang. Hmm. Uh, so I mean like that's not it's not overstating. I'm not trying to be dramatic at all. Like that's how intense it was. So. When people hear the empathy on, or like the the emotion on the record, mm-hmm. I mean, it's real. <laughs> like there's nothing. I'm like, there's a moment where uh, the song "Trust," which I, in my opinion is like the most gospely song on the record. It's like the the kind of uh, it's the most bold faith declaration I've made on a record in at least nine years. Uh, and so like when I got to that record, that was the last song we were gonna do, and the we kept messing it up over and over again and I went uh, just like let's just take a break and I walked outside and talked to Tessa I was like let's just pray we said a quick prayer and I was like just let me feel what I need to feel and connect how I need to connect and I walked back into the studio with my friend John who was producing and I was like let's just try it again and as soon as I started playing like got to the chorus I would just get hit with a wave of, of grief and so like and it would just happen I mean every single chorus if you listen to that song where normally it would build, it drops out. And it drops out because I was getting hit over and over again. Still I will trust in the name. 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 Makes my demons afraid. 
this fear you have to leave you may under no circumstances stay says anxiety you must cease burdens and oppression Exile estranged, and no longer will we suffer in loneliness and shame. Says I'll create a place of honor home upon this earth. Says I'll create a place of honor, and you will know your worth. Yes, you will know your, you will know your. Trust in the name of the Lord. I will trust in the name. I will trust in the name of the Lord. I will trust in the name. It's kind of crazy to have a time capsule of of hearing yourself like get hit with that. Yeah, that would be wild. It. But yeah, so that's all. I mean, that's the that's the record. So I'm happy with it. Uh, I don't think it's a fun record. I think it's a good record because <laughs> I've, I've made fun records and this isn't one of them. Yeah. Where can uh, people find you on the interwebs? Look up Good Saint Nathaniel. You'll find me. Look up HideNoTruth.com. You'll find me. It's on Spotify, iTunes, all those wonderful websites, Bandcamp. Which do you prefer people listen if you're going to listen, I prefer Spotify or Apple Music. If you're going to buy, I prefer Bandcamp. Okay. Uh, because I actually get to know when the transaction happens. Oh, nice. Those other ones, I don't actually know. If somebody buys it off iTunes, I, I have no idea. Really? Uh, I don't see it for like a long time. So like I was looking at my numbers today and being like, well, I've talked to like multiple people that have bought this record off iTunes. But I go <laughs> you look haven't in gotten the- money? It says, it says nobody's bought it. And I'm like, that's not true. Uh, but I don't get that, like, Bandcamp, when somebody buys it, I get an email immediately. Hmm. And so I actually know, like, it's easier to track with things. Yeah. Now, is that buying digitally through them, or is that do they actually can, get a disc? You can buy a disc, yeah. How many did you do? How many? I made 1,000. Okay. The price point on 1,000 versus, say, 500 is, is it's so worth doing 1,000. So that's why we went with that. Well, thank you, Nate. I appreciate you coming on. This is... Uh... It's kind of intriguing to get into your mind a little bit and see what what's going on in there, especially yeah, since we, you know, we've got. I have some history with you in the totally a little I, bit I different random, world. There, <laughs> I have a random question. Yeah. Um, when you so you were was it like the first year of Rock for Reason? You kind of were a, a key part of, right? I think so. Like, I, I remember I was part of the newspaper story. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember why you left? I don't. I'm trying to remember. So, 
Because did was, we lose the VFW or the uh, Legion Hall? Well, we 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 did lose it, and then we got it back later. But like, so there was there's a period, and it's I'm not uh, not proud of this period, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think here here full full disclosure. Um, I think um, so towards like the end of that time, we were closely working together. Mm-hmm. I think the amount of volunteers peaked at about 17 people. Okay. And things got kind of weird for me as like, as the leader or the like, you know, driving force, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, some people started doing some stuff, not you, but some people started doing some things like spray painting my car. Really? Smoking, drinking. Yeah. I don't uh, remember that at all. Weird. So there's, Yeah. There's a whole thing. Wow. Where, like, I mean, I literally had my tires spray painted by my own staff. Uh, if if I look at it that way, and wow. I didn't know what to do, uh, because it was like way above my like nineteen year old pay grade in my mind, <laughs> and so I tried to figure out how to structure it, uh, and so I ended up getting there was a worship a set of ethical guidelines from our church's worship team yeah that I got and I talked to somebody and they said ah it seems like a good idea and so I remember bringing that to a staff meeting and saying this is what I want to implement for concerts I think it was. And within the course of, it feels like a few weeks to a few months, almost everybody quit. And wow, you would be one of the few people I've talked to since then from that era that like all pieced out. And I, and most of the people I have no idea, like I got one letter from somebody about how I was messing up and then, uh, and I talked to Tyler we're friends. So like, okay. But I mean, like he was—he was actually the only person that was like, "Dude, these rules suck," and he took off and quit. Uh, <laughs> well, but he would which, be like that, though. <laughs> yeah, I was thankful. Like yeah. he's the only one that said anything. Right. So I just wonder, like, in that area of my life, like, well, because who like, who all was in there? Andrew Cameron was there. Yeah, I haven't I haven't talked to him since um, then. Okay. So like, I haven't talked to Andy since and then, uh, 2003. Oh wow. Um, uh, Darcy, what was her last name? Al, she's still around. I see okay. her because she moved to San Francisco, where I eventually moved. And then, uh, who was the Evie? Evie, she's uh, she's Evie Kumar now, I believe. Evie Luce. So Luce, she was that's part. right. And, and there was like a handful of, I mean, because it was it was a it was a loose group of people. Mm-hmm. Like, see, I I don't remember it, much else uh, outside of those people. Yeah, no, we were the core, and but then it kind of ballooned, mm-hmm. and then I brought out my rules. People, <laughs> various people pieced out. Like it was so weird. Like, because it wasn't crazy. like we were, it's one of those things. I'm like, oh man, this is a bad, uh, me, bad on me. But uh, it was like super weird. Uh, well, I know that there was a there was a family or a husband wife in our church. They pulled because Andy Cameron went to church with me. Um, they pulled us aside and just ripped us a new one. How man. dare you! sponsor that kind of music they were just livid that we would even remotely um encourage or be a part of any kind of rock and roll scene uh, and and you know it took us back because we we're young so what, what's going yeah, on here yeah. and so i remember that and we've got a lot of pushback from a certain group within our church about us even being involved and i think that all came out after the the newspaper I mean, story heard that story until now that was nuts yeah i mean i got people that were the most, the most probably painful part of the whole thing was uh, 
there's a group called Pierced Music that decided they needed to do a Christian version of me. What? Uh, they told me that because uh, my concerts weren't Christian enough. Oh, and so okay. they literally wanted to do a Christian version of what I was doing, oh. uh, which is really, really painful when I was technically a college pastor at the time. And, uh, <laughs> and a pretty, pretty like fresh off the missions field missionary. Right. Uh, so, so when somebody says you're not Christian enough, I'm going to do a, a Christian version of you. It's super weird. Uh, so that's, those are the kind of things that like when Isaiah I'm dealing with my, my trauma mixes, that sort of stuff. Uh, wow. With your head. Yeah, yeah, I never, I never heard that story of you guys getting uh, cornered. Yeah, luckily though, um, there was a group. Uh, I cannot remember their name, but there was four old guys, and they had like a uh, a quartet that they were in, yeah. and they were like stalwarts in the church. And they came up to us. They heard about that, and they, I think, two of them came up to us and said, "Don't worry about them. You guys keep doing what you're doing. You're reaching kids. Just do it." And yeah. so that that really helped us to know that okay, we're not totally crazy. Yeah. But the fact that that came out, it was really hard at first. Oh yeah, totally. Wow, that's crazy. So then we decided just to quit and run off. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> right. uh, the, All those rules, well, dang it. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, you know that the the crazy thing about that season is because I've kept with music. So I still see kids that were impacted by that season. That's pretty like, wild. See, you, an, my thought of you then, you had all the connections to bring in everybody. Like that that was, yeah. in my mind, that's why. You you knew everyone. And I don't know how you knew everyone. How did you know everybody? Uh, <laughs> um, there is, do you guys swear on the show? Uh, sure. I, I don't, <laughs> but if you want to, go right ahead. <laughs> well, I don't need to. Um, there is a website called Book Your Own Effing Life. Uh, that I put my name on uh, right when I moved back to Roseburg. And so I just got slammed with a ton of bands that wanted really? shows. And so I didn't know anybody. I just literally like... You were available. I was available. And I mean, I remember it's kind of a ridiculous moment because I, uh, I, te- I just said yes. And I remember walking into my pastor's office and saying, so... Uh, I just booked eight concerts and I don't have a venue <laughs> and it, and it, he was, you know, hats off to him. We got in his car and went for a drive to like try to find places mm-hmm. to rent. So literally like I said yes and things just happened and then I played catch up. Uh, but like most of those bands, they were all green at the time. Yeah. Like they didn't, none of them had signed. And then from 2003 to four, like, I think I did the math once. I think 15 bands or something like that signed to record labels that we were working with. Wow. So it was just like they went from like bands that were on their first ever U.S. tour to like a major label band. Mm -hmm. And so we happened to be the right spot. So all these bands like, I mean, word traveled that we were, kids were coming out. And so, I mean, we would, I know with Showbread, we were, they'd they'd drive across the country for, for, to play Roseburg in Spokane, Washington. They didn't have any other good shows in the whole country. Wow. And, you know, then that eventually became Sacramento. But, like, so you've Mm -hmm. got, like, people driving from Georgia to play in Roseburg, Oregon, because when they play in Roseburg, Oregon, 150 kids get excited for them. Right. That's what they're looking for. And so, like, and so we, there was something in that season that those bands really, like, wanted to be a part of. 
Does that scene exist anymore? Anywhere? Uh, it pops up from time to time, like in different different towns. Like, I think when it's the right combination of a, a good promoter and good, like maybe high school, early mm-hmm. college kids exists. It's real fleeting, though. It's like it pops up and, you know, you go, you want to go play like Minot, North Dakota. They had one for a while. Uh, <laughs> You know that was a, that was a spot. Like I knew friends that would drive across the country to play Minot. Really? Yeah, it was like it was a spot on the, on the tour route. Uh, huh. I think it was Minot. Yeah, I think one of those spots up there. Minot might have been the bad one, but uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> there, but you like you go like you know you hear about it and you try to go there, and it 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 happens. I mean, it, it changes over time. Like Kansas City actually has like no all ages music scene. So we're kind of like actually debating if we should step into that foray again, like because there's literally no place that high school kids can go to see music that's like a public space. Really? Which is, I mean, this is a town of that a is, couple million. Right. So like, that's, that's kind crazy. of crazy. You have to be 18 to go to a concert. Uh, is that because they're all in in? Um, well, why would that be? It's the just 18. the venues aren't there. I would um, get 21, but. Can be an alcohol thing, a venue preference thing. Mm. It's really a, it's a just a, a logistics choice. Mm. For me, like I, I heard, uh, do you remember the band, the guy Jeff Suffering years ago? Mm, no. He had a band Suffering, the Hideous Thieves, or Ninety Pound Wuss. Oh yeah, yeah. So he was saying that the only reason all ages music is such a thank, thankless process to be a part of, that the only reason you should actually do it is if there's an underserved community, and uh. So I, I, that's always stood out as a good piece of advice for me. Mm-hmm. Good Saint Nathaniel is the it, it is your moniker now, I guess. It is my moniker. I, I refer my... to you now as the Good Saint, so I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I mean, it's, it's better than a bad saint, <laughs> I guess. Right? Uh, high no I truth is your description in there. I mean, <laughs> right. generally, I think saints are positive and uh, some reflection, but uh, I was like, let's just make it real clear. Not like it. <laughs> Uh, Hide No Truth is the uh, debut album of, of this Good. venture version of you. Good luck with it. Well, thank you. I think it's kind of it's crazy just watching some of the people come back with reviews of it because you know I know oh. you're you're sending it to them, but they're, yeah, they're writing stuff. It's kind of cool. You asked me how how it was, and it's it's weird um, because the concerts I haven't done that many of them, maybe thirty or so, mm-hmm. and. Destroyed Nate Allen is a very immediate feedback loop. People see the concert, they like it, they hug us, they buy something, they say it's the best time they've had since like fourth grade, and that's the <laughs> concert on a really good night. Yeah. Um, good Saint Nathaniel is the opposite. So when people are impacted by the music, they either come up and say something incredibly confessional, like they share a past trauma or a point of connection, or they maybe buy something, or they literally leave in silence. That's terrible yeah, but, for a concert. It's a good. It's, it's an interesting idea, but that's not good for merch sales. Well, they buy stuff. I mean, it's oh, selling really? well. Okay. But like, the feedback loop loop is so different. So, like, if somebody's, if enough nerves have been, you know, touched on, they don't necessarily know what they're going to say, and so that is the feedback loop. So, like, when I submit the album to press, and they've generally been very, very gracious and very into the record, like, it's like, whoa, it's so weird to hear, like all these people saying these really good things about something that I've gotten like such a strange feedback. Loop right. On. So that, that's the part that's weird. Like I'm really thankful for the press, but it's like, huh, 
What a, I guess this is what they think of it. Would you ever do a commentary version? I think, I think there's the, the issue I run into is there is just so many angles and so many stories on the record that I think it's, it's literally probably a several hundred page book to actually encompass all the things I'm touching on. I did a, a slight commentary for a website and I think it's really, it's, it's, it's fun to me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Hey, if you're ever up, uh, a few hours north up the interstate. I, you're closer than I thought. Uh, yeah. Because same- <laughs> so. yeah, Omaha from us is about four hours away. Yeah, that's... And you're I just mean, a couple Omaha, hours but... north, or you're just a couple hours south, aren't you? Yeah, we're like two and a half hours. Oh, well, shoot. It's close. You have to come up. We'll do a show live. I, I would totally do it. That'd be fun. <laughs> cool. Maybe well, play, your, play your little guitar in here, too. That'd be fun. I would, I would do it. All right. Next time you're on the road. Nate Allen, Thanks, thanks again for... for uh, sitting down and opening up thank you appreciate it